Well, good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Nick Castell. I'm a reporter and producer at IdeaStream. Uh, we're here in the Idea Center uh, uh, hosting this, but we're being joined by guests from uh, all over Cuyahoga County in uh, one of the ubiquitous Zoom meetings I'm sure everyone's getting uh, quite used to. Uh, it is July 29th, and you are joining us for this virtual City Club Forum. At the start of this month, Cuyahoga County Council voted to declare racism a public health crisis. That puts the county in the company of Cleveland, Akron, Dayton, and cities across Ohio and across the country that have voted to recognize a link between well-being and the effects of discrimination and segregation. This concept gained increasing support this summer among cities big and small as the coronavirus pandemic weighs disproportionately on people of color and in the wake of George Floyd's killing by police in Minneapolis. Here in Cuyahoga County, the, the task of turning this idea into a plan falls in part on the shoulders of the county's newly appointed Citizens Advisory Council on Equity. This 15-member body includes three of the panelists we're happy to have with us today. They have until the end of the year to draw up a course of action for the county to take against disparities between Black and white residents in health, the criminal justice system, housing, jobs, education, transportation, and the list goes on. What does it mean to call racism a public health crisis? And what should the county do about it? What kind of power does a county government even have to deal with this at all? I'm hoping we can get to these questions and more over the next hour. First, I want to take a moment to introduce our panelists who are joining us virtually uh, this afternoon. Armin Budish is in his second term as Cuyahoga County Executive. He was elected to this role in 2014. India Pierce Lee is a Senior Vice President of Programs for the Cleveland Foundation. Janice Contreras is Executive Director for the Northeast Ohio Hispanic Center for Economic Development and Randall McShepard is Vice President and Chief Talent Officer for RPM International. Before we get to this conversation, I want to first of all thank City Club's generous members, sponsors, and donors who are supporting these virtual programs during a tough time for a lot of nonprofits. For a full list of supporters, you can visit cityclub.org slash thank you. And you can join them in supporting their work by making a contribution or becoming a member at cityclub.org. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions too. Text them to 330-541-5794, rather. One more time, that's 330-541-5794. You can see the number at the bottom of your screen. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the conversation. Again, thanks so much for joining us, and let's get started. Uh, County Executive Armin Budish, I'd like to start with you. Uh, what do you hope that this advisory council brings back to the county uh, at the end of this year when it's time to deliver uh, a report and recommendations? Well, first of all, thanks, Nick, for uh, hosting this event and moderating it. Uh, and thanks to all our panelists who have uh, all three agreed to uh, participate in our uh, advisory uh, committee on equity. It's a very important uh, work. Uh, the county has long been uh, focused on uh, equity and opportunity for all our citizens. That's the way we move forward. That's the way we uh, can uh, improve uh, life for everyone here in the county. Uh, we have to include everyone, and that's the purpose of this uh, committee. Um, so you know, let me just give an example. I think that might help. Um, we we have been involved in uh, infant mortality. The uh, percentages uh, of uh, people in Cuyahoga County uh, that have been uh, harmed seriously uh, is bad. Uh, the, it's more, when I came into office, it was more like a third world country percentages of uh, our rate of infant mortality here in the county. So uh, we set out, we partnered with the city of Cleveland, we partnered with the hospitals and and uh, philanthropy and all different uh, organizations that are involved uh, to try to make an impact here. And we have, we've made a significant impact. We've significantly reduced uh, the infant mortality rates in Cuyahoga County, but we haven't been able to close the uh, disparity between uh, white uh, mothers and children and 
African American and other minority uh, children. So um, we it, it points up that uh, that we have a lot of work to do, despite the the great efforts we've made in uh, reducing the the uh, impacts of of racism. And I say racism in the context of the infant mortality because we've got the stats. I mean, we've we've held everything. Uh, you know, compared the data. Uh, if you take a, a white mother who is uh, poorly educated and poor, and you take a, a black mother who is highly educated and not poor, the rates are still higher for the uh, African-American family than for uh, the white family. There, there's no good, easy answer to that other than structural racism. So uh, I'm hoping that this committee, which is made up of, of true experts, tr real um, people who have been very involved in, in organizations and in efforts uh, on an individual basis. Uh, they have been involved in fighting for equity in their own ways for years, if not decades. Uh, I'm hoping that this group coming together, the, the combined uh, uh, intelligence, brain power, and experience of these people will help us come up with solutions finally, and then it'll be uh, up to us to implement those. I, I do want to ask as a follow-up, you know, the, uh, the the legislation authorizing this this project, uh, it, it lists a variety of areas where, where you want to focus your time and attention. Uh, healthcare, the criminal justice system, healthy food, safe and affordable housing, well-paying jobs, and, and there are others on the list too. Uh, is there a risk that it's it's too broad that it's it's too uh, uh, big a bite to ask uh, people to take in such a short amount of time? Uh, well, it is broad, and that's because the the impacts of structural racism is are broad. But um, you know, I anticipate this group will decide where to go with with their uh, uh, studies and and uh, evaluations. I think that they may cover a lot or they may pick one or two areas. It's really up to the group to decide uh, the direction that they want to go. The legislation is is very inclusive, very broad, uh, but the committee can uh, take it where they want to take it, where they think they can have the most impact. Uh, India Pearsley, I'd like to ask you this next question, uh, just as sort of a, a basic uh, foundation, I guess, for this conversation. For people who may be unfamiliar with this idea of of calling racism a public health crisis, could you help explain what does that mean to you? Well, I think it, it deals with the issues that a lot of us in this work have already known, but now because of COVID, because of the um, George um, Floyd um, incident and others, that people are willing to acknowledge the data that has already existed, that it's structural and institutional racism that has bound our systems and the ecosystems um, from day one. And, and, and if we look at the policies that our own governments, um, federal, state, and local government intentionally set to, uh, to, to leave people out, to leave black and brown people out of the system, that's being acknowledged now. And as my colleague, Randy McShepard would say, it's all interrelated. You can't fix one system without fixing the other. But I think the acknowledgement that the data shows, whether it's education, healthcare, transportation, food, housing, you know, our this this country was built on racism, and it's time to do something about it. And uh, Randy McShepard, you know, some of these issues are are discussed fairly frequently. We cover them on our air here at WCPN at Idea Stream, and and I know uh, issues like infant mortality have been, uh, you know at the forefront of, of, you know, people's time and attention uh, in the Cleveland area. Is there any kind of new uh, insight or new perspective that you're hoping that this group specifically is going to add to this discussion? Well, um, as you might know from my bio, I'm a co-founder of a public policy think tank, and it's called Policy Bridge. And we have always made the case and the argument that uh, true change happens when you have a diverse group of decision makers at the table representative of the breadth and, and, and scope of uh, the community that you might be trying to uh, work in. So I think that in this case, having uh, county and city government uh, wanting to address this issue and then having 
a very impressive group of people from various disciplines looking at these issues from their vantage points will in fact shape, shine light on these challenges uh, in new ways that uh, maybe haven't been considered before. And uh, I'm certain that we can get to uh, a new set of uh, suggestions and hopefully solutions that uh, perhaps we haven't ever uh, tried in uh, Cuyahoga County before. And with the group that we have assembled, I'm sure we can get there. I, I, I wanna follow up on that and ask, are there particular issues that, that you think that, that this group should focus on and uh, maybe in a new way? Me personally? Yeah. Uh, sure. I, I can tell you I'm very troubled when I look at the, the criminal justice system. Uh, the fact that 90% uh, of the people in the juvenile justice system are people of color. The fact that 70% of the people in the county jails are people of color. Uh, that's a, a major issue. We have to address that. Something's wrong in a county when you see those kinds of numbers uh, consistently um, play out year after year after year. Uh, obviously, uh, being in the urban farming business, I'm also excited and concerned about uh, food security and uh, food deserts and food swamps and uh, things that we can do to ensure that people can eat better. Uh, a lot of the health disparities that we uh, wrestle with have a lot to do with uh, what people eat and um, issues like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, to a great extent, can be controlled with uh, uh, by diet, I should say. And then thirdly, um, economic development and workforce development. We have to figure it out. People need to work. People need help starting and running successful businesses. There have been many things standing in the way for people of color. A lot of uh, quote unquote red tape and uh, in, in governments that we uh, should talk about and will talk about honestly and candidly as a, a task force. And I think when you start to peel the onion and get to those kinds of issues and that level of detail, you'll start to see uh, where the challenges are and, and what we might do about it. And the fact that County Executive Budish has, uh, you know, allowed, challenged us to uh, put the issues on the table along with the County Council. Um, I think it's a, a welcome opportunity for all of us to have those difficult conversations for the good of the county. Uh, Janice Contreras, are there specific issues that, that you'd like to focus on, something that really jumps out at you as, as maybe something the county hasn't uh, done enough to address in the past? Uh, I think definitely economic development. I echo um, some of the sentiments of, of Randy. Um, you know, specifically when we look at this as a public health crisis, right, and we start to peel back on what are those um, racism issues that we've been trying to address around transportation, environment, food insecurity. A lot of that, to an extent, is tied to your socioeconomic status, right? It's, it's tied to what type of work do you do? Um, how much education do you have? Where do you live geographically? And so I think, um, yes, is a public health factor, but then we need to also tie it into economics. And so what are we doing around workforce and job creation of not just low paying jobs, how are we moving people um, to living wage, to being able to thrive and survive within our county? Um, along with entrepreneurship, obviously I have a soft spot for that being a small business development organization. Um, how do we use entrepreneurship in a way that folks have equal opportunity? Um, entrepreneurship is, you know, has a, a ton of opportunity and possibilities, but unfortunately there's a whole lot of inequity, inequity there, right? We talk a lot about um, issues around access to capital for black and brown communities and a conversation I probably have on a daily basis. Um, but it's, it's important for us to start digging deeper into the, you know, peel the onion kind of um, a scenario. Uh, for us, when we talk about um, access to, to capital issues, what does that mean? What does that mean for the Latino community? What does that mean for the black community? What does that mean in our neighborhoods um, with the largest disparities? And how do we address that? I think that we recognize the issues, we recognize the need, but I don't think we've dug deep enough to really understand at a granular level so that then we can build up and come up with innovative and creative solutions to addressing those inequities. Mm -hmm. and, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but one of the big projects that you've been involved in is, uh, I, I believe, right outside your, your window in your office, La Via Hispana. Um, what are you hearing from people involved in, in that project uh, You know, who are trying to encourage business development in the Clark Fulton near West Side area. Uh, what are you hearing from folks there that you think you'd want to bring to the county and to other members of this group? 
Absolutely. Well, you know, I think as, as we get hyper-local specific to the Clark Fulton neighborhood, La Vita Hispana, um, I think, you know, this has been in the making for decades and decades, right? So it's had a lot of starts and stops and um, reinterpretations of what that looks like. And I think once again, we are in that process of developing a um, master plan that's being led by our community development organization, City of Cleveland and many other players, the Clinton Foundation um, are involved in that. So with having a master planning process that is, is very inclusive, that is very grassroots, I think we're hoping to get some of those responses on what is the future of our neighborhood um, overall, and the efforts that I personally have been involved um, in this neighborhood is really out of, out of fear of what neighborhood development has looked like for our neighboring neighborhoods, right? So, for example, Clark Fulton has the largest density of Latino residents in the state of Ohio, um, but we don't. My family doesn't live here. I didn't live here as a child because it was the dream neighborhood to be in, but it was because we were pushed out of other places. So I think the purpose of the master plan, the purpose of the efforts around La Villa um, is really to say, yes, we welcome investment and we need improvements and we can make this a great, vibrant neighborhood, but it doesn't have to result in displacement and gentrification. It doesn't have to result in pushing people out for new people to come in. How do we do this in an equitable way? And I think we have a, a unique opportunity in time to get it right. You know, on the issue of housing, I think many people believe that that undergirds a lot of the issues we're talking about here. And Cleveland area certainly is one of the most racially segregated in the country. Uh, many black neighborhoods and Latino neighborhoods as well have been sort of on the receiving end of of some of the housing crises that have swept over this country, whether it's uh, the problem of lead paint that's not abated in people's neighborhoods, a big issue on the near west side, as well as neighborhoods like Glenville, um, the destruction of black wealth during the housing crisis. Uh, India Pearsley, what do you think the county can be doing differently to help people get and stay in good quality housing that maybe doesn't have this negative effect on their wealth or their health? I think the first thing is that we have to do a, a countywide assessment of our housing. Um, I know there's been, this has been done in some neighborhoods, and this is going to take a, a concerted effort, not just with the county, but the city and the federal and state government to really look at uh, type of housing, looking at inspections in a way that we, and I know some of this is starting to happen, but to make sure people are getting uh, not only decent, but quality housing. And the fact that most of the people, over half of our citizens are paying more than 50% of their income alone for rent or mortgage, uh, that's problematic. And with the current COVID, you know, the number of evictions and how many other people are going to be put out of their housing, this is something that is like an emergency now. It's, you know, where's the urgency around this to keep people in, in their current housing, but to also make sure that we are shoring up the properties going long term. I think that, um, you know, that's one thing this committee will be looking at that I think should be at the top of the list because we can't afford to have families homeless. Um, and then without the jobs as well due to COVID and other things that they can't stay in there, we have to find a, a quick solution uh, to keep people stable. And I know, again, there's many organizations working on it, but the magnitude of the problem is larger than any one of us together. Yeah, that's an interesting point you made about people, many people having to pay as much as half of their, their regular income on housing. I think people often hold Cleveland up as a place where housing is relatively cheap compared to, you know, some really booming places like San Francisco, where, you know, it could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for a shack. Uh, why, why is there that disparity where people are, are still having to shell out lots of money, even though in theory, we're a cheap place to live? Well, in theory, it's a cheap place to live, but when we don't have control over the landlords and, and how they're renting out, when you see some of the conditions and what people are paying in some of the properties they're staying in, it's it's really absurd. And I think that, again, with inspections, with putting some policies in place for landlords and, and, um, and helping the tenants, again, um, we are in compared to other places. Pricing is reasonable, but it depends on the neighbor neighborhoods and with the segregation that we see in our neighborhoods, you know, where the disinvestment continues to happen and where and where investment is being made. That means also bringing in um, amenities to the community uh, into the neighborhood like uh, 
you know, grocery stores and, and um, you know, basic amenities that people have in other neighborhoods, restaurants and places for people to walk to. So as we continue and won some areas to invest and the market is taken off, if you took some of those same properties from, say, the east side, I live in Glenville, and some of the properties here are gorgeous properties, but, you know, we also have redlining. And that's something that we really have to crack down on with the banks and, um, you know, the, those uh, the, the auditors that are looking at these housing that they base it on the area and not on the properties. And redlining continues to be a huge issue. People not getting mortgage loans, people not being able to get rehab loans. Um, and this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. It just keeps getting worse. Hmm. Uh, oh, go ahead, Randy. I just wanted to add to India's excellent comments that um, when you talk about people spending 50% of their income on housing, it also uh, begs the question about the economic vibrancy and opportunity, uh, especially for people of color in a county like Cuyahoga. So uh, the fact that we have uh, in the city of Cleveland, uh, seeing that city being ranked among the top three, five uh, in poverty nationwide, if, if you have that kind of poverty, chances are you're going to have difficulty uh, buying or renting a home. So it gets back to the importance of understanding how this is all connected and why people need to become gainfully employed uh, and receive competitive wages to be in a position to not have to spend 50% of their uh, revenue or, or monthly income on their rent. Uh, Armand, I know that the county uh, and the and the Cuyahoga Land Bank uh, recently sort of retooled the land bank's focus uh, less on the demolition of vacant properties and more on trying to rehabilitate properties. Uh, do you believe that those properties are going to be affordable for most people? Are they about uh, turning around things to be sort of market rate that might bring up property values? How do you deal with that issue? Well, that's the goal. The goal is to... Uh, we have properties that will be affordable for people, uh, but it's again, it's it, it, the comments made already are, are right on the mark. All these things are tied together. Um, you know, you, no matter what the price is, if you don't have a good job, you you know, it, it, it's not affordable. Um, if um, you know, if you don't have uh, the opportunity because you don't have a good education, you know, you got a problem. If uh, if you're in an area that doesn't have a grocery store, it's a problem. So, you know, there's there's multiple issues that all relate together. You know, you went through the long list of things that the committee's supposed to look at. Um, they're, they're really, they're related. You, It's very tough to take one item uh, and say, we're gonna fix this uh, without the others. I mean, how do you, how do you fix, uh, uh, you know, job opportunities and entrepreneurship if the education system isn't working right, or uh, if people uh, don't have stable housing, so you know how are they going to how are they going to study at home? Uh, how are they going to improve themselves? It's all related, and uh, that's why this committee is so important. Um, you know, they're they're they come from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, all different uh, career paths, and and I'm very excited about looking at the prospects that this group uh, can. Help us with. Um, you know, we've done some great things, but as, as Randy said, you know, we're we're at the bottom in poverty. We we have a long way to go. A long way to go. We got to fix a lot of things. Uh, just to stick on the housing issue for a second, because uh, Janice, I see you nodding. I know the the west side, near west side, is can be weird as far as housing goes, because I'm looking for a house right now, and you can see there's stuff that might sell for thirty thousand dollars, and there's stuff that's selling for four hundred thousand dollars. So how do you deal with those issues of trying to develop a neighborhood uh, without, as you mentioned before, gentrification that prices people out either through the mortgage or the taxes? I think the rehabilitation is a great example, right, of an initiative and, and, and the uh, Metro West CDC here did, had great success um, in rehabbing and trying to prevent homes that previously would have been demolished um, to be able to restore them um, and put them in hands of low to moderate income families. Um, I myself uh, purchased a home through the land bank and the CDC where my parents reside just blocks from 
from my workplace. However, you know, India mentioned earlier the lack of rehab loans or the lack of, of funding to be able to access. So while the program is great for some, um, there's still a challenge. Yeah, you could get purchase a home for a very affordable rate from um, the land bank via your CDC. But then are you going to be able to get the rehab loan that's necessary specifically in a market that might not support comps um, for the amount of rehabbing that you're going to need to do on that property? So that's an example of how we need to dig deeper. It has been, again, uber successful in this neighborhood and would love to see it in other areas. But even there, there's still issues. And so we still need to continue to dig and figure out what are some of those fundamental issues that need to be addressed at its core, whether it's policy, whether it's changing you know, the way that banks are thinking about mortgage and rehab loans in order to make those accessible. And there's where we get stuck a little bit, on the, on the very specifically on housing. But, you know, I, I still think, you know, we have very affordable housing stock, very good quality housing stock in Clark Fulton and a lot of um, our neighborhoods, you know, Brooklyn is excellent. Stockyard is definitely you know, on its way as well. So there's still a huge opportunity. I think the challenge is how do we also make sure that the people that live here have a chance to buy their home? How do they buy their home? How do they go from being tenants? I believe more than 50% of the folks here are tenant-based, right? And so that could be very transient and unstable um, when we're talking about neighborhood stabilization or we're talking about making sure that people are able to stay in their homes and stay in their communities. Um, so still a long way to go, even, even there with the well, uh, we're getting a lot of great questions in right now. We are going to get to those in just a few minutes here. I want to transition to uh, criminal justice quickly because I know that's another major issue that's that's come up here. Um, for for County Executive Armin Budish, you know, one of the biggest criminal justice issues that the county has a direct role in is the jail. And uh, some of those issues in the past, including the U.S. Marshals report, were related to overcrowding. I know that during the pandemic, you've been able to cut the jail population, roughly speaking, in half, but it, the population is going to start creeping up again as, as courts go back to normal operation. Can you keep the population down in the near term? Do you see that as a long-term solution to, to the other issues that you're up against right now? I believe that uh, we can keep the jail population down, and that's coming from uh, Prosecutor O'Malley, that's coming from Judge Sheehan, that's coming from uh, the uh, uh, judges in the in the municipal courts, uh, Judge Early and others, um, uh, it's it's been a concerted effort uh, to um, uh, uh, of, of a coalition, a group uh, to do get this done, and I think that they can keep it down. We're also doing a whole lot of other things. Um, uh, going to the council uh, next week, I believe, uh, will be a, a request for some additional funds for the bail project. Uh, the Bail Project is a national organization. They've come into, into Cuyahoga County. Uh, they help uh, pay the bail uh, for uh, people who uh, are awaiting trial. Um, uh, rather than have them sit in jail uh, where, uh, you know, after they're there, you know, a day or two, you know, they probably lost their job and they, you know, have family issues. It, it, you know, here we can get them out. And, uh, and again, it's only paying the bail of people who have already been assigned bail by the judges. So these are people that the judges have already determined can be in the community. We shouldn't be locking people up and keeping them in jail just because they don't have the money to pay a $500 or $1,000 bail. Uh, so uh, the bail project is a key. Um, uh, there's a whole lot of other efforts that are going on uh, with the judges and the prosecutor uh, to keep the numbers down. I think they can do it. Uh, they think they can do it. And that's critically important. Uh, Randy McShepard, before we get to questions, I know you had brought up the issue of criminal justice before. Are there any other specific points that you think that this uh, that this council should look at as far as criminal justice goes? Well, I think the whole system of criminal justice should be looked at um, and potential solutions like bail reform, sentencing reform, um, the, the many things that in one way or another lead, especially uh, men of color, into the system in the first place. Um, and I think uh, as we collect our thoughts as a, a group, we will get to the bottom of a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in a matter of minutes or seconds yeah. here, we will. Oh, go ahead, Armin. I just want to add also, we're working very hard uh, with a, another group of people, um, uh, including the Adams Board and Metro and other uh, nonprofit organizations uh, to create a diversion center so that people will 
uh, when they're identified by a police officer, instead of everybody just being taken to the jail, uh, people who have mental health or addiction issues will have a place to go for treatment, not just the jail. Right now, the jail is the default for mental health and addiction uh, problems, and that's not where it should be going on. And has the county located or found a place or an operator yet for that uh, facility? We put out a request for proposals. Uh, uh, we've gotten the, and the uh, responses back in. We're in the process of uh, meeting with and discussing uh, with the people who have uh, made their proposals. And, and uh, I believe that we'll be in a position uh, hopefully soon. Well, for those of us joining us on this live stream, this is uh, a City Club of Cleveland discussion about the county's efforts to uh, address racism in the context of public health. Uh, if you do have a question for any of our panelists, now is the time to let us know. You can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club and we'll work them into this conversation. I've already gotten quite a few of them here on my phone um, and I'm just going to start ticking some of these off as we go here. Um, uh, Armand, I believe this question is for you, but it could be for any of our panelists too. Um, you know, internally, who is leading uh, the racial equity charge at Cuyahoga County and, and what resources has the county committed to these efforts? We have a, uh, there's actually two committees or commissions, if you will. One is the advisory committee that we've been talking about and the people on this panel are, are participating in. Uh, the other is that there's an internal commission uh, also set up, uh, made up of, I forget, five or six of our department heads. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, Naylor Bird and Ted Carter, uh, our economic development director and a clerk of courts will be chairing that. Uh, committee, uh, and uh, uh, that will be the leadership uh, within the county. Another question on this on this point is: uh, someone has texted into us saying, "Great group on equity task force, but notice there doesn't seem to be a seat at the table for community voices. All members are from institutions and enjoy leadership positions already. Uh, how are new voices?" Uh, of those with lived experience being lifted up? That's what this, this questioner is asking. I think if you look at the three people uh, on the panel here, uh, they all have extensive lived experiences. They're all people from the community. And uh, uh, the fact that they've taken on leadership roles uh, is a plus, not a minus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I think that was an, another thing, again, as I looked through the list of the folks that um, I would be joining in these efforts, um, was very much like, yeah, we all have titles, we all have positions within the community, we represent um, a diverse group of organizations, uh, but we also have our personal experience, and that carries equal leverage um, to our role in this equity committee as our professionals or our accolades um, and degrees and so forth. So I think it's not, you know, solely representing in the role of that, but that my hope is that I am participating in this equity group as a Latina. They grew up in the near west side of Cleveland. They graduated from CMSD schools. Um, for folks to also identify with that, right? Identify and see themselves in the folks that are in the panel. Also, I have a responsibility to the folks that I represent uh, in making sure that as I sit, sit in that role, I am representing folks with that. So I know personally, I have already started seeking input uh, about this committee. Like, what are people's thoughts about it? What are some of the concerns? Where do they think we should start? Um, and I, you know, I, I dare to venture to say that a lot of my colleagues are probably doing the same thing as we are trying to discern what our role is going to be and how massive um, of a scope it is and how do we get started. So looking forward, actually, our next, our first meeting is next week. So I know, again, personally, I welcome input from the community and participation. And it doesn't mean we can't have other neighborhood-based um, advisory groups that are helping support um, this 15-person group. We obviously cannot do it alone. Mm -hmm. uh, another question on, on this point about, oh, go, go ahead. Um, I don't agree with the premise of the question. I think that there are individuals on the committee uh, that are just individuals right now. You know, Reverend Chalker, um, um, uh, Mr. Stokes, um, you know, they're not leading any organizations. They have life experience that makes them valuable members of the committee. And uh, to follow up on 
uh, Ms. Contreras' comments. Uh, these are open meetings. Uh, the committee will be open to the public uh, and uh, people are welcome, in fact, uh, urged to participate. I'm sure the committee members will appreciate uh, their comments. I imagine open to the public on, on Zoom or some other sort of live streamed situation, at least for the foreseeable future. For the foreseeable future. Okay. Uh, one of the before we move on to other topics, one other question that did come in about the the group itself. Uh, we have someone asking, uh, where is the uh, Asian American Pacific Islander, Indigenous, Refugee, and Native American representation on the council? Uh, you know, how do you anticipate trying to include uh, those voices and perspectives as well? I'll leave it to somebody else. Want to respond, or you want me to? Well, I'll just say uh, it's up to us to ask those questions as a committee <clears throat> and to know that um, this uh, 15 member group is not necessarily um, exhaustive of all the different groups and perspectives that make up Cuyahoga County. Uh, we get it. We understand that uh, a, a major part of this could and should be reaching out uh, to diverse constituent groups to hear, to listen, to take in ideas. Um, we are not suggesting that we're expert in every significant uh, problem or challenge facing the community, but it's also important to know that not only do we represent a lived experience ourselves, I mean, I'm, I'm an African-American man that spent my entire life in Cleveland. Um, that in and of itself is very telling. I've been, you know, uh, stopped by, by police unnecessarily. I've, I've grew up in a single parent household. I graduated from the Cleveland schools. I mean, you know, we all have experiences that we can bring to the table, but in addition to our lived experience, many of us have also worked in many different places and spaces. Uh, I started my career in the nonprofit sector. I sit on several nonprofit boards. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a co-founder of a urban farm on 82nd and Kansas in the central neighborhood. I'm talking to residents every day that uh, you know live, have that uh, lived experience. And um, back to the main point though, we, we have to uh, do all that we can to ensure that those that aren't at the table aren't left behind or considered any less important. And I think that uh, we should, uh, and we will build that into our framework and our plan for moving this task force forward. Yeah, I wanna add to that, Nick, if that's okay. Um, sure. So when I look at the duties of what this um, Citizens Advisory Group and Equity is intended to do, one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was encouraging community outreach and public participation um, in the goals and in the work that we're going to do. And I think that's really where that falls in making sure that we know who, who's not in the room, first of all, what are the voices um, that we're missing and how do we ensure um, that we bring them to a table, to the table, um, and make sure that they are part of the development of whatever the strategy is. So that is actually one of the duties that has been assigned to us um, as part of this participation is that level of inclusivity. So on another topic, I know that this uh, initial legislation also speaks about transportation as an issue that you want to look at. And we do have a question here about the uh, Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority uh, talking about the fact that many essential workers rely on public transit to get to work during this pandemic, while at the same time we know that RTA has been facing financial pressures from declining ridership. And in fact, you know, there have been changes to lines over the years that have uh, resulted in less service. Uh, India, if I could put this question to you, you know, what do you think uh, is, is the committee's role here on addressing that issue of transportation? I mean, I know RTA is maybe a different uh, government body, but it's still a big issue here. Uh, do you see a way forward on, on trying to make sure that people have access to the transportation they need? Well, I think uh, transit is actually one of the most important um, issues as well, all of them are important, but, you know, when we talk about uh, moving people from place to place, how do people get to jobs when a majority of the jobs are outside um, that of the city that um, most of the people in the inner city have to get to. I think we have to look at the routes and figure out a better way. Um, state funding to our transit system is another place. Um, Ohio is not um, the best in funding transportation across the state. And when you look at economic um, mobility, 
for individuals as well as for businesses, we have to do a much better job. Um, and this is going to take more than the county. Again, this is going to have to be something driven from at the state and federal level that the resources are given to our inner city neighborhoods um, as well as the region to make sure we're getting the transit to the people that need it the most. And working with the transit systems, with NOACA, with you know all the public agencies to I figure know, out the uh, best way to do that. I know two proposals that have been discussed uh, somewhat over the past uh, year or so. Uh, one is possibly raising the sales tax to fund transit. Uh, another is finding a way to make public transit free for people because you know much of RTA's general operations are funded by sales tax rather than fare collections. Are those ideas, do you think, should they be on the table here? I, th I think we should look at all options. Um, we should look at other places where it's been effective. What have other states done and other cities to have uh, effective transit systems? And what can we learn from uh, other places and bring those best practices? But again, this is going to take some huge uh, advocacy, some policy changes, and we're going to have to have the kind of leadership willing to see the benefits um, for, for people as, as a whole. If we want to have a very inclusive community, we have to look at the things that are keeping people from having inclusivity and making it exclusive. Uh, Janice, I'm I'm curious. What do you hear from people in in the you know near West Side neighborhoods about that? I know you've got the Metro Health line uh, just outside your door. Um, does it see go ahead. Um, definitely hot topic. You know, a third of the folks in this, only a third of the folks in this neighborhood own a vehicle. So uh, public transport is, is a big deal to everyday living um, in this neighborhood. The West 25th Corridor, which is our main corridor, um, is the, has the second highest ridership of RTA um, in our area. And they just currently, as, as current as last week, launched another transit-oriented study for West 25th connects. So that's my plug for, for the efforts on this updated TOT. But honestly, five years ago, I participated in a West 25th transit oriented study. So I am not a transportation expert, uh, but I you know, definitely have been involved in, in the planning process and know the importance of, of things like how wide or narrow is a street, how safe are our sidewalks, um, you know, beyond the workforce element of getting people to and from work, this neighborhood is a food desert. So how do people get their food, you know, um, requires some level of transportation, ideally transit. So um, big issue in, in this, you know, hyper-locally in this neighborhood specifically and in Cleveland as we start to reimagine and rethink public transit, you know, to, to India's point, we have to think of all options, but more even creative options that we maybe haven't come up with. How do we hold some of these corporate employers that struggle with having workforce, uh, encourage public trans transit or recover the expense uh, of public transit I get folks calling me all the time, hey, we need employees to work out in Solon. And it's like, well, that's great. How are they going to get to Solon? Um, and even if they were using public trans transit, can you get to Solon on RTA? I have no idea. I can't answer that, right? But these are the kinds of things that we need to, to be exploring also on how do we make some of our corporate partners responsible and support, help us support our, our transit system that's already so strained. I, I believe you can catch a bus to Solon, but it'll probably take you a while. Um, uh, you know, Randy, from the perspective of someone who works for a major employer, I mean, what, what role do you think big companies should have in making sure their workers can, can get to the job? I think companies can, uh, corporations can be quite helpful in um, lobbying for and on behalf of their employees. They want their employees to make it to work and make it to work on time. and. Um, Policy Bridge, the think tank I'm involved with, we actually did a, a, a research uh, study on this very topic. Um, Janice, it, it actually takes between 45 minutes to 90 minutes for a person from the central city to get to places like Solon and Westlake. And uh, think about the challenges that that uh, puts in front of a, a person, perhaps with a child or two, having to drop a child off at daycare and get on a bus early enough to make it out, uh, to make time for a 45 or 90 minute bus ride. But um, I think employers should be talking to RTA and other players about, um, you know, their needs, um, uh, anything that they could could do to be helpful in in terms of that are more user friendly for uh, workers coming from the central city. Um, just sharing data that could be helpful to know 
X number of employees need to get to certain pockets of the region. Um, uh, all of that kind of information, uh, I think, can be helpful. And it's up to employers, you know, to advocate on behalf of their employees because that's what keeps their businesses going. And uh, I think mis- many businesses will be happy to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a question here uh, going back to the topic of housing. Uh, and this, this question says, uh, can the panel discuss any aims to increase the amount of permanently affordable housing, i.e. community land trusts? Uh, India, is that an idea that you think is, uh, you know, maybe has some, some currency in Cleveland? Yeah, I think that there's uh, examples nationally um, where there's been community land trust, not just for housing, but as you look at it for amenities like parks, um, as well as um, commercial corridors. And in fact, uh, the foundation has looked at this and studied it um, over uh, a period of years with our Greater University Circle Initiative that works with the clinic Case Western and uh, university hospitals and the six neighborhoods around it to look at the viability of a land trust um, for the purpose of holding, not just holding land, but putting resources um, in perpetuity uh, in place for the community. And uh, there is one project that we're currently working with, uh, which Councilman Bashir Jones and uh, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress on a specific project. And it has a community advisory committee and looking at how we can begin to look at this. But again, to put resources in place in perpetuity for the community so that they can benefit as these developments take place. So when we talk about potential gentrification or different things, it also uh, leaves something behind for the people and residents that have already lived there. And I'm sorry, if you wouldn't mind just briefly uh, helping people understand who may not be familiar, what a community land trust, what, what is it, what does it allow people to do? Well, it's different uh, models of uh, land trust. And what we're looking at is more of a hybrid model. So if you could purchase land and hold it in perpetuity um, for future development. So as neighborhoods develop, so for instance, if this had been done in Ohio City or Tremont or Detroit Shoreway, 10, 15, 20 years ago where land was held to to continue to hold land for affordability for residents. So as the neighborhood grew, you could create more uh, diverse economic stability in the community around housing, around the commercial corridors um, and the other amenities. And so we're looking at those models because the work that we do, we are not in the business of putting, moving people out of the community. And we don't wanna be in the business of, of, making things where people can't afford it. But again, this takes cooperation at every level. We need, you know, uh, legislation and policies in place at the city and county level that will support these kind of initiatives. And again, um, there's national models that have been done. There's a lot around housing, but I think looking at this on a much broader, a more diverse aspect and with the land that we have, uh, vacant properties in this community, I think this is a, a opportune time. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to add with sure. that too, is, is a level of like definitions, right? So we talk about affordable housing, but what's the difference between affordable housing and low-income housing, right? And affordable to who and how are those numbers put together, right? And these are right. things that I'm learning and I struggle with as well. Um, because affordable housing is, is taken by medium of the entire county, uh, but that's not reflective of the city. Right. And so what's affordable based on the medium, you know, household income right. of the county may not be affordable to the people in this neighborhood. And so that is a big challenge on making sure that we differentiate between what is affordable housing versus low income housing. And what do communities really need? Right. We need a mix. Um, but what is the right mix and how do we encourage developers to do more low income, including our community development partners who are best at this and best equipped? Um, to do that work along with just developers that want to do affordable because there's some incentives financially to do that. Um, But what do those projects look like 10 years, 20 years down the line? Um, We've seen some affordable Mm -hmm. projects down the street here where it was affordable year one, year two, but by year three, it's no longer affordable because it's changed based on the county's medium income. And so again, digging deeper into some of the and, and again, that's when the private market has kind of, you know, taken over, right? That uh, in a lot of these neighborhoods, and, and I remind people, you know, we all talk about Detroit, Shoreway, Ohio City, Tremont. 
But 25 years ago, those same neighborhoods looked like our east side neighborhoods and they had just as many issues. They had the same crime, the drugs. And so as they have developed and it's taken a long time, we have to put the same kind of effort and investment in these neighborhoods, but also being smart about how to develop it. There's, you know, we could do mixed income housing. We can look at different levels. We can make, and some, you know, developments have done that where there's X number of units are set aside for low moderate income families. That's part of a larger development. And there's ways to do it uh, uh, again. And I think that if we're going to create, uh, you know, diversity in housing, diversity in our neighborhoods, this is something that we really need to really focus in on uh, much stronger. Uh, another question here about uh, accessibility, I guess, internet access, you know, much of how we reach our residents with COVID-19 info, for example, is online. Are there plans to reach the approximately 40% of Cleveland residents without internet access? And I imagine that means, you know, in, in communicating with people about these efforts. Well, I can uh, jump in and India sure. can certainly uh, add as well. Um, uh, we have uh, just made an agreement, a uh, partnership with uh, the Cleveland Foundation, uh, also the Gunn Foundation. Uh, we'll be providing uh, something like 7,500 hotspots uh, with two years free internet access and 10,000 computers. Uh, we'll be focusing right now mostly on families with kids in school because uh, school is gonna be uh, at least partly remote for a lot of school districts uh, throughout the county. And if you're, just like you were saying, if you don't have access to the internet, how do you learn? Uh, so um, I'm very appreciative of the Cleveland Foundation's efforts and Gun Foundation uh, to support. And I know there's ongoing conversations with some of the business community uh, to get involved and help with uh, increasing broadband access as well. I, I, and I do wanna add that, you know, you can't, I mean, government can do a lot, but government can't do everything. And, you know, county, city, uh, you know, we're trying, but, and we'll continue to try, we'll continue to do more. Uh, but, you know, Rand, Randy mentioned the business uh, community. Uh, you know, we need, in some of the cities that have done well, uh, the business community has stepped up big time and we need to see the business community step in here also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Armin, for you, another question here is about the, uh, the sort of the, the budgeting and financial side of specifically this effort that we're talking about here, you know, dealing with racism as a public health crisis. Uh, is there a budget for this? And can the county use any CARES Act money to support any initiatives that, it, that would be proposed? Uh, to the extent we can use CARES money, we'll look and do, it, do that. Um, uh, you know, right now we're in a budget crisis, uh, and, uh, uh, but the CARES money is available. We also have uh, we, we participated in and settled a major uh, lawsuit uh, on the opioid crisis. So, for example, I mentioned the diversion center. Uh, that's something that we anticipate using some of the opioid money for since, uh, since uh, uh, you know, it will be responding to needs in the area of addiction as well as mental health services. So uh, the answer is yes. And, uh, and to the extent that uh, we need to use other funds, we'll find those funds. This is top priority for the county. Uh, we need to, to focus on uh, defeating, uh, changing the, the uh, racism uh, problem here, and we'll do that. We'll put the funds in that we need to. Well, we're getting a, a quite a few questions here about uh, how people can participate in, in this conversation themselves. People want to know, uh, when is the first meeting going to be, and uh, will there be some public comment available? was the first meeting, uh, it's next week. What is it, Tuesday, Wednesday, I forget. Tuesday. Tuesday, uh, and yeah, there'll absolutely be public comment available. Well, looking ahead then to that first meeting, um, you know, are there, I don't know, any expectations you have? I, I think people are looking at this as, as sort of an open-ended thing where you're talking about all these different kinds of issues that we've discussed over the past hour or so. Uh, how do you pare down and, and focus on, on where you can make an impact? Uh, Brandy, maybe I start with you. Well, I think um, we, first of all, need to introduce ourselves to each other. Uh, not everybody on the 15 uh, member task force knows each other. Uh, maybe to learn a little bit more about different perspectives that are at the table. 
Um, I think we then take a look at the issues, and as you stated, there are many of them in the, in the legislation, but to maybe have an initial conversation about uh, are there a few of these that should uh, maybe be prioritized uh, higher than others? Uh, do we divide these up amongst the, the task force and have um, you know groups kind of report back in, in the different areas? Uh, obviously, there are certain areas where certain members of this task force already come to the table with vast knowledge that might be able to move us along a lot faster. But I think, um, you know, uh, also talking about any gaps that might uh, be um, you know, a part of the legislation, uh, the, the great suggestion made earlier about who's missing in terms of perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thought I had uh, is uh, youth. We have to figure out a way to engage youth to make, make sure it's their future kind mm -hmm. of county. So they should have a voice and we should somehow reach out to that population as well. So I think just hearing each other sort of give uh, perspectives on what the legislation means to them, what our, what we bring to the table, what we think the priorities are. And from there, uh, also working with uh, county officials, I think we start to carve out uh, a pathway. You know, I'm glad you mentioned involving youth because we got a question about that earlier. Um, and, and Janice, maybe I can throw this question to you. What, what do you think uh, you can do to, you know, engage people who are younger and maybe not interested in you know participating in things like public meetings or maybe they are and I'm, I'm being unfair what do you think should be you know your approach I mean I think there's formal engagement and informal engagement right um, obviously I work in a, in a very busy neighborhood and on any given day there's a lot of youth outside my window um, or hanging out in the parking lot right so there's some of the, just those informal conversations of just like hey what would you like to see what would you do differently um, as well as organizations that have this as a focus that encourage um, you know youth participation engagement oftentimes and thinking back on my youth and the programs that I participated in pretty early on was because somebody gave me an opportunity. Somebody invited me. Somebody asked me what I thought and what was my opinion. And I think it is our charge to do that um, more often and, and coordinated to make sure that that voice is at the table. Invite them to a meeting, even if it's to shadow or give them something to present on. Again, um, lots of ways to engage. Um, I know Victor Fries is on this committee, um, Habiba Grimes for the Positive Education Program. So I know we actually have some experts around the table that work with, with our youth, um, specifically within the 15 uh, member body, but even more so. I think as far as, you know, what does our first meeting look like or... <laughs> I was this meeting. Well, you know, where would I start? Um, because it can be a little overwhelming, but um, definitely trying to figure out what are the skill sets around the table? What are the populations we touch to to Randy's point um, in some sort of matrix so that then we can figure out what we're missing. Um, I am also very interested in hearing what um, some of the employees at Cuyahoga County, what have they been working on? What have been some of the barriers of them doing some of it, some of the work, right? Um, because there, there are a lot of functional things happening, but somehow there's still areas where we need to make sure that we're being intentional about um, inclusivity. And so how does this, how can this committee interact with some of the work groups that have already, you know, been in place with the county on how can we be also a voice for that work and figure out how do we, we close the gap? Again, you know, you could have high-level vision of what we want to know, and we know that that is the task that the county executive and county council has given us, uh, but then you have people that are in the field that are actually making this work happen, and so their input as well is important because ultimately we are going to need their help to, to be able to implement any um, effective and sustainable change. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, India, is there anything else, uh, maybe one big issue that, that you really hope uh, you can take a look at when you when you sit down to meet uh, in the coming weeks and months? Well, um, like Randy, um, I, you know, each of us were asked our two areas of focus that we would be interested in. I picked criminal justice reform mm -hmm. and I'm interested in economic opportunity. And so I think, uh, again, as we sit down and look at, you know, what's on the books already, legislation policies, um, you know, it's a deep dive into each of these areas to figure out the priorities. But those were the two areas that I personally selected. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the, the clock is counting down now here on our on our time together. So I want to say thank you to our panelists for joining us for this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been listening to a City Club of Cleveland conversation or watching it. Uh, about uh, treating racism as a public health crisis and how the county is going to address these issues. Uh, so thank you to everyone who's joined us here, uh, County Executive Armin Budish, 
uh, Randy McShepard, the Vice President and Chief Talent Officer for RPM International, who also brings perspective from the Think Tank Policy Bridge, India Pierce-Lee, Senior Vice President of Programs for the Cleveland Foundation, and Janice Contreras, Executive Director for it. I'm sorry, the, uh, the rest of that description was cut off, but we'll get it here. Um, it was going so smoothly. Uh, the uh, executive director for the Northeast Ohio Hispanic Center for Economic Development. City Club Virtual Forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, the George Gund Foundation, Key Bank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC, and the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on the website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can join them in supporting their work when you make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. I'm Nick Castell from IdeaStream. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned and let me just bring the gong over so we can finalize <laughs> this. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks a lot.